I wonder how many of us feel that same way deep down when it comes to evangelism. When we say, you know what, we should go out and evangelize, which means we should go out and share the good news. We should go out and spread the good news. I wonder how many of us deep down, if we would really be honest, deep down when it comes to this whole concept of radical faith, deep down we would say, that scares me, that, un- that unnerves me. Because number one, I, you know, I feel like that if I go do that, if I share Christ in my workplace or if I share Christ you know, uh, with a friend or a family member or someone that, that, that I think really needs to know Christ, they're going to reject me. And so I don't want to really put myself in that position. Or we say, you know what, um, if, if I go out and I, I begin to share Christ with other individuals, I really don't know if they will uh, believe me. I don't, or they're going to question me, or they're going to, they're going to, you know, quiz me, and they're going to trip me up, and I really don't know what to say. And so, and so, and so, deep down, there's this, um, there's this sense of, of, um, uh, you know, of nervousness. There's this sense of I just don't, I just don't know what to do. And so, a lot of times, we just avoid it. And and today, as we talk about, you know, this whole radical faith, as we talk about living it out. And by the way, as we said, Francis Chan, I think, really articulated it great, uh, very clearly, is that when we read the Word of God, there's nothing really radical about about what God is asking you to do. It, to him, it's the normal life, right? It's the normal way of living that He's calling us to. What's radical is when we actually do what He asks us to do. And in the, in the scope of our culture, in comparison to our culture, it does come off as radical. When we take a look at our time, when we take a look at our resources, when we take a look at all those things where we say, okay, God, you know, I'm following you, I'm trusting in you, and, and God, I'm surrendering my life to you. Everything is yours, and whatever you want to do with it, you do. And, and if God, by some chance, says, well, I want you to take this step of faith. I want you to do this. I want you to take some of your resources or some of your time, and I want you to go on this, I want you to take these next steps. Uh, it can seem extremely radical in comparison uh, to the world. But again, as we said, you know, it's, it's the norm. It's where God is leading us and how God wants it to take place. If you would turn with me to chapter 28, Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. And I want to read with you, uh, to you a passage of scripture that really gives us this whole concept. This is where we get this whole concept of going out and evangelizing, going out and sharing our faith, sharing the good news. And in Matthew chapter 28, this is after uh, the resurrection. Jesus is what often labeled the Great Commission. He is telling the disciples what to do now from, from here on out. In this movement, this is what they are to do. And it says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him. So it's in this next statement it says, but some doubted. So it sounds like there's kind of like a few, or I don't know if it's the majority, and there were just a couple that doubted, but, but here it says, when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Now let's stop there for a second, because I find that quite intriguing. Here you have guys that walked with Jesus, okay? Here you have guys that physically walked with Jesus. You and I don't phys- I mean, physically walk with Jesus. He it lives inside of us. He, we walk with him on a daily basis. I get that. I understand that. But I'm talking, he was next to us as real as the person sitting next to you. He walked, these guys walked with Jesus, They saw the things that he did. They listened to his teaching. In fact, often there was comments made that when Jesus taught, he taught very differently than some of the other teachers because there was this sense of passion and authority behind it. They saw some of the things that he did. He made lame people, crippled people, people that couldn't walk. He made them able to walk again. 
He made people with, he helped people that had leprosy or any other crazy disease, life-threatening disease as such. He gave them, he gave them wholeness again. He restored their health to them. They witnessed these things. They witnessed how he fed thousands of people on a couple different occasions where he took small amounts of food and he prayed over it and he blessed it. And lo and behold, everybody was fed and they were able to, to even um, uh, collect food back. I mean, talk about some miracles. He made blind people see. He drove out demons from individuals. They literally saw some of these things take place, okay? They were with him in the upper room where he said, you know what, this is going to happen. And he shares, this, he shares communion with them where he, 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 dips the, he, he, he gives that whole symbolic picture of, of the bread being his body and the, and, and the wine being his blood. And he shares about how they will share in, to, in that, in that you know, symbolism, in that, in that uh, particular movement with him. He shares that with him. He shares how, he's going to be, how he was going to be persecuted, how someone was going to sell him out. He, and he shares with them what's going to happen next. And next thing they see, they see that they, he is taken, that he is crucified. He is hung on a cross, which was, a, which was an incredible... Uh, uh, instrument, uh, incredible sadistic instrument used to kill people at that particular time. And by the way, if, you don't, if you're not aware of this, but I'm sure some of you are, uh, one of the reasons why they divide, the Romans designed the cross is because it actually prolonged the agony. They didn't die instantly. They wanted people to hang and suffer, and then also so other people could see what would happen if you know, certain laws and things like that were broken. And so this was a very hideous way to die. And they saw that. They knew what had happened. So they see all this stuff. And Jesus even told them what was going to happen. Jesus also said that I'll be dead and I'm going to come back to life. And so here we have him after he's went through all of that. He dies. He comes back to life. And he meets them on this hillside. And some are like, whoa, this is incredible. This guy is alive again. And so they bow down and worship him. And then some doubted. What more proof would you need? I wonder if there are those in here this morning that have tasted, have experienced, they have seen God work in their lives, they have seen God work in other people's lives, they have seen God move, they have seen God do some really incredible things, but yet you're sitting in here this morning still doubting. It says that some worshipped Him and some doubted. And you see, what really concerns me, guys, is that when we taste this, when we experience this life, when we are wrapped up in this movement, I'm talking about people who place their faith and trust into Jesus Christ. And Jesus, we're involved in this movement. There should be a sense of SOU, which means a sense of urgency. And somehow, with many of us Christians, there's not a sense of urgency. It, it's, it's, something's off. And so Jesus meets with them, he comes to them and he says this, uh, picking up on uh, back in, uh, in our text. It says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, because of this, because of the authority that's been given to me, therefore, I'm asking you, I'm telling you, I'm commanding you to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. You see, here's, here, here, here's, the, here's where we're going today. This whole concept of radical faith, and, and I really want to challenge you guys to ask the question, do you have a radical sense of urgency about all this? 
Jesus says, I want you to go and I want you to make disciples. And I think some of the reasons why, a couple of reasons why we don't have this sense of urgency about going and making disciples is that we've, we've kind of taken this whole thing and we turn it upside down and we say, look what God has done for me. We turned it into a look what God has done for me religion. Almost, almost to the point, it's like, well, why wouldn't God save me? And so here I am, I've got my ticket punched, I'm ready to go to heaven, I've got my fire insurance, and so I'm just kind of kicking around here, you know, just trying to make it through until Jesus returns or, or I die. Where's the sense of urgency that says, God, this is about God? Where's the sense of urgency that says, this is all about God, God has saved me for a particular reason, God has me involved in this movement, God has brought me into this movement, and I'm involved in this movement, and there's something here that I'm supposed to be helping accomplish, And understanding that this is all about spreading the glory of God. That it's all about, you know, it's Him, it starts with Him and ends with Him. Listen to what Ezekiel says. The prophet Ezekiel says in uh, chapter 36, God's telling the prophet Ezekiel to say this. He says, therefore, go to the Israelites, Ezekiel, and share this. This is what the sovereign Lord says. It is not for your sake, people of Israel, that I'm going to do these things, but for the sake of of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you have gone. I will show the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, the name you have profaned among them. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Sovereign Lord, when I am proved holy through you before their eyes. I think it's the same message that's coming to us this morning. There are times where God says, or, or there's this, 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 this command where Jesus says, go, go to all nations. Go to people who need to hear about, about me. Go to these individuals and help them understand, that, and for a lack of a better way to say this, that God is in the business of reconciling lost souls to him. Go and share the good news. Go to share the good news that you don't have to spend, someone does not have to spend eternity or spend eternity separated from me. But go and share. Go and do these things. But instead, we take that message and we we tip it and we turn it and it becomes involved in us. And the next thing you know, we're sending out a message that really is can be questionable. Ephesians 2, Paul says this, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world, and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the Spirit is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages He might show the incomparable riches of His grace, expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is from the gift of God. It's from, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And listen to what Paul says here. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. What are those good works? What are those good works that we're prepared to do in advance? Paul says that God prepared in advance for us to do good works. What are those good works? I, I, I would think that they are things that bring God His glory and His praise. 
that we were saved, that we were created, that we were made, we were designed, we were purposely designed to bring God His praise, His glory, His honor. But instead, we tip it and we make it about us. Almost to the point, why wouldn't God save us? Why wouldn't He save us? And it's very subtle, and it's very dangerous, and it's very scary. And what can happen? What can happen if we get into this subtle shift of tipping it, we end up approaching the Word of God, and the way we read the Word of God is affected. The very way that we read the Word of God can be affected. In fact, how many of us, maybe some of us, of us have said this, but how many of us have heard this? Because I trust no one's ever said this in this room. But how many of us have ever heard this? Someone saying, well, I'm not called to do that. I'm not called to do that. I don't know if I'm called to go and make disciples. I don't know if I'm called to go to nations. I don't know if I'm called to, to, sh- you know, to share uh, about God. I don't know if that's my calling. And so what happens is we suggest, very subtly, that there are those that are called and that there are those that are not called. Now, here's the tricky part. And if you read Platt's book, I think it's very interesting how he articulates this this concept. Platt, in his book, Radical, he suggests this. He says that we assign the obligation of our faith to a few while while all along holding tight to the privileges. Does that make sense? Read that one more time. He suggests that we assign the obligations of our faith to a few But when it comes to the privileges, we hold on very tight to those. So in this particular context, we would say this. Go and make disciples. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I command. We would say, that's a command. I don't know if I'm called to that. See what I'm saying? I don't know if I'm called to that. But when it comes to something else that might be a privilege, we would say, oh, ooh, I like that one. Let me grab a hold of that one. Let me just give you a couple that he suggests. He says, you know, uh, uh, you know with this whole, with the same one, we'll say make disciples, that's other people's. You know, that's, that's people are called to do. But when it says, come to me all who are carrying heavy burdens, when it says, when Jesus says, come to me, those of you that have really had a rough week, those of you that really have some really incredible hard stuff in your life that you can't carry, come to me and I'm going to help you carry those. I want that one. I want that one. That, now that one's for me. Here's another one. Acts 1.8 says the Spirit will lead us into all ends of the earth. The, the Acts says, you know, uh, the, the Luke, the writer of Acts says the Spirit, will, uh, recording Jesus' words, the Spirit will lead us to all ends of the earth. We'll say, well, that's for other people because I'm, really, I'm not really called to go to all ends of the earth. But in John 10.10 10, where Jesus says, I'll give you abundant life, we'll say, oh, now that one's for me. Now, see, and it's a very subtle shift. And we have to be very careful. It's a very subtle shift because as we go to the Word of God, we say, I'm not called. Well, that I can take. Well, this one, you know, no, that's not me, but this one I'll take. It's almost like a buffet. You know, we'll say, oh, I'll take a little bit of that, a little bit of that. That one will make me a little inconvenient. That'll be take me out of my comfort zone. I'm going to avoid that one because that upsets my stomach a little bit. That kind of turns me a little bit. And so we, we push that one off. And it's a subtle shift between obligations and privileges. And some of us in here this morning may be wrestling with that. But what it comes down to is this. When we're talking about this radical sense of urgency about going out and making disciples, I think it comes down to this question right here. What happens to unevangelized souls? 
I think by the way we answer that question, it will indicate whether we have a sense of urgency, whether we will have a sense of urgency, or we won't. What happens to unevangelized souls? Now, what I'm going to share with you today might step on some toes. You might disagree with it. And, and it's one of those things where let's look to the Word of God together. And if you disagree, let's get together. Let's talk about it. But it comes down to that question. What happens to unevangelized souls? And another way of putting it is this. What happens to those individuals who never, ever hear of the gospel of Jesus Christ? What happens to those people? Now, some of us will say this, and, and let's, 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 put it, let's, put, let's put the picture the way we often hear it. Those tribes, right, it's always tribes that live in the jungles of either Africa or South America, right? Those tribes that live in either South America or Africa, wherever they're at, those tribes who never, ever, 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 ever hear of the gospel of Jesus Christ, what happens to them? Now, some of us would say this, God's going to provide another way. We'll say God provides another Why? Because it's not fair. It would not be fair for God to judge those people who never, ever heard of the gospel. It it wouldn't be right. It wouldn't be fair. Right? I mean, that's how we rationalize this sometimes. And so as we wrestle with this question, now now get this. Now this this is where it connects. If we said, well, God's going to provide another way, what we're saying is it's all going to work out. I really don't have a sense of urgency to share the gospel, right? My sense of urgency kind of drops, drops down. Now, if I would say, and if I would answer that question, and I would say, I believe that whoever does not accept Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, if they don't place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and trust Him to be the ultimate sacrifice, if they don't believe that, God's going to send them to a hell. Now, what happens is my sense of urgency probably rises up that says, someone's got to share, someone's got to get out and share this good news. Someone's got to get out and share the message. Someone's got to get out and let people know that's never heard of the gospel that, hey, this is serious business. And it also makes you sit and wrestle with the question and come to the real, or wrestle with the question, do I believe in a literal heaven? And do I believe in a literal hell? Because those things come into play now too, Correct. And so this whole radical sense of urgency, I think, goes back to how we answer that question, what happens to unevangelized souls? What happens to them? People who've never heard of the gospel. And so as we wrestle with this, I want to share with you a couple points. Number one, I want to share with you this. God provided Jesus as the only way to be in a relationship with God and to live with Him eternally. God provided Jesus as the only way to be in a relationship with Him and to live with Him for eternity. Listen to, what, listen to what Jesus says. Listen to the claim that Jesus says in John chapter 14, verse 6. He says this, I am. Let's stop right there. I am. When Jesus said those two words, I am, it had incredible impact upon his listeners. Because what he said in, in saying that I am, he just elevated himself to be part, to be God, is what he did. This goes way back to Moses. Do you remember the whole Moses story when that bush was on fire and Moses was tending his, 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 uh, his um, animals, whatever, and he comes up to, you know, to the, he sees this bush that's on fire and it's not burning. We would say that was a theophany. We would say that was, a, you know, he was having an encounter with God. And so as he goes up to this bush, what does the bush say? Or the God, well, it's God. What does God say through this burning bush? He says, Moses, you need to take off your sandals because you are standing on holy ground. 
And so Moses has this dialogue with this bush, and as he's talking with this bush, this bush is telling him, you know, God's telling him things. And, and, and it comes down to this. Moses asks the question. He says, well, if, when I go back and tell the people, who do I say that you are? What was the reply of the bush, or God? Tell them I am. Fast forward years. Jesus stands and says, I am. Various times, about six or seven times throughout Scripture, Jesus said, I am. And every time he did, it, the leaders of the church were indignant because he was saying, I am God. I am God. I am Yahweh. I am part. I am God. Jesus goes on to say in uh, John fourteen six, he says this, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now that's kind of hard to chew on, isn't it? In our society, now if we take that and we say, I believe that 100%, again, our sense of urgency begins to go up, right? People need to know that Jesus is the only way to the Father, and if they don't place their faith and trust in Him, there's going to be some incredibly negative things take place. But also what it does in our society, it communicates that this way is exclusive, it says that there are no other ways. It says that this isn't that Jesus isn't the, the like one way, like one really good way among other ways. What it's saying is there is one way which Christianity often gets labeled as what being narrow-minded, right? But it is what it is. If you believe in what Jesus said, and Jesus saying, I am, I am part of the Godhead, I am the way, the truth, the life, no one comes to the Father except through me, it is very exclusive. There is only one way, and it's through Jesus Christ. And if people don't hear that, 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 Jesus, that God wants to have this saving relationship, this loving relationship with them, and that it's all about you know, having this incredible relationship with Him and then just bringing Him His glory and His praise, if they don't hear that, that is very exclusive, but if they don't hear that, there are some really negative implications. If we follow that thought process, clear out. So, how do we answer the question? What do we, you know, how do we believe in unevangelized souls? What do we believe when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and life? No one comes to the Father except through me. The second thing we need to consider is this. As followers of Christ, we carry on His disciple making work under His authority. This isn't under anybody else's authority. This is under His authority. This is something that Element came up with. And by the way, you know, every church Every church uh, that, that, that's really, in, really involved in this, their mission statement comes from this passage of Scripture, regardless of how you want to say it. Regardless of how you want to say it and word it, it doesn't really matter. We're about making disciples. That's it. About making disciples, teaching them, helping them to obey the commands, and baptizing them. That's what it's all about. And this isn't something where we sat around an element and said, hmm, what would be really cool to do? Well, hey, let's try making disciples. And let's, you know, we're just throwing that out there. Let's just try that. Let's just do that. It's not, no one ever said that. It, the only person that's ever said this is, is the command by Jesus Christ found in Scripture here. Where Jesus says, this is what you're about. This movement is about this. It's about going and making disciples. This disciple-making work. And he said this. He said, it's done under the authority. And he proclaimed his authority uh, over heaven and earth. Based upon my authority, this is what I'm saying. This is what I'm telling you to do. I'm commanding you to, do, to go and make disciples. The third thing we need to consider is this. As followers of Christ, we are called to make disciples of all nations. This is an exclusion to just one nation or the other, but of all nations, of all people. And by the way, when he says go and make disciples, it really kind of translates, when, when we take a look at the translation, what it really communicates in the, in the proper translation is this. As you are going. 
as you are going, indicating or implying that it happens as we go about our daily lives. Every single one of us in here this morning, as we go about our daily lives, we are called to make disciples, which means where do you go eat at times, at restaurants, where you have a relationship with, a, with w- w- some of the waiters and the wait staff? Are there times where you've clued in that they're having a, you know, a tight spot in their life? Have you had a conversation with them? Where do you bank at? Where do you get your haircut at? Where do you go get your groceries at? Where do you get your car fixed? Where do you work at? Our daily operations, as we daily go, as we daily are involved in our lives, as we go about our lives, we are called to make disciples. We are called to, you know, and if that sense of urgency, as as we've wrestled with this question, what happens to unevangelized souls? We begin to to see things from a different perspective, and our sense of urgency goes up to say, I'm involved in a movement. Jesus is asking me to be involved in this movement. And so... We are called to do this on a, daily, on a daily basis. And the second thing we do is to teach new believers how to obey His commands. Now here's, the other con- here's something that we need to be very clear on. You're not giving them your opinion. You're not giving them your opinion on how to live this life out. You're not giving them your perspective or your view. What you're doing is you're teaching them the Word of God. And by the way, this, this, you know, this implies too that as, let's say your, you know, your sense of urgency comes up, you have, this, you have these conversations with people, and let's say they place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You don't stop there, but you help that person understand what the Word of God says. Not your opinion, but what the Word of God says. What does the Word of God have to say about parenting? What's the Word of God have to say about marriage? What's the Word of God have to say how we conduct ourselves with other individuals? What's the Word of God have to say as, as we go into business meetings, as we, as we deal with other individuals, business transactions, and uh, how we teach kids in our jobs, at our school, whatever? How do we live our life saturated with the Word of God? That's what we help teach people. This is what we're, this is what we're supposed to be living our lives by. This is what's supposed to be infiltrating our lives. And so we teach people. We, it happens on our daily basis and we, and we share this with them and we teach them His commands and what uh, He is asking or uh, teaching us on how to live our lives. And then lastly is this. As followers of Christ, we are promised His presence in all circumstances at all times. Guys, I find this extremely encouraging. I find this... Ex- it gives me such courage and confidence to know that as I go out doing what Jesus has asked me to do, that he's not, he's not just saying, hey, Gail, go for it. We'll talk to you later. Go ahead. Go. Go on now. He's not saying that, but he's saying, I'm going to be with you at all times. Which, guys, we just spent a whole series talking about the Holy Ghost and how the Spirit lives within inside of us. This is the, spirit of his, this is the ministry of His Spirit living inside of us. Not only does it, He produce fruit, not only does He guide and direct us, but as we engage in all of these things, as we engage in making disciples, as, as our sense of urgency rises and our perspectives change, and we have these conversations, He is there to guide and direct our thoughts. He is there to guide and direct our words. See, the problem is, a lot of times, again, we tip it over, and what, what do we do? Well, this isn't so much about God now. This is about me because I'm scared. I don't know what to say. We've tipped it. We tip it. And it's so easy for us to tip it and make it about us. This has nothing to do with about us. Or about us, essentially. Let me reframe it this way, too. When we begin to understand that as we read the Word of God and we read that Adam sinned, we read that every person after him, there's this curse, if you will, placed upon everybody. In our natural state, we, we call that a sense of depravity where we are utterly, utterly helpless and hopeless. Okay, But in that state, 
because of what Adam did, his sin, we all now are enemies with God. That's how we come into the world. We come into the world as an enemy of God. But, but it doesn't stop there. Jesus, out of his love, Jesus, out of his, out of his, you know, out of his love for the Father, God says, I want to provide a sacrifice. I want to provide a way back to me. I want to provide an opportunity for individuals to come to know me. I want to provide an opportunity for, I want to make things right. And so as we accept that incredible sacrifice, we are now co-heirs with Jesus Christ. We are now part of God's family. And we are no longer viewed as enemies, but part of the family of God. See, Christ is with us in all circumstances. It's not about us. It's about, it's about God receiving His glory, getting His glory, His honor, and what's due to Him. Man, if we could keep that perspective shifted like that, you realize how much easier our lives would be? It's, it's, it's when it gets toppled over that it becomes extremely difficult. And so we need to be very careful to keep that in the right position. You know, some of you in here this morning may have never, I mean, you're still, you know, this whole, well, let me just say this. I hope this series has really brought you face to face with the gospel. I hope this whole series has really made you stand in, in, in the presence of the gospel and say, you know what? This, this isn't about me. This is about, this is all about God. And so as we close here this morning, I pray that you would just allow the Holy Spirit to do uh, his job, his ministry right now to challenge you to really ask yourself the question, you know, what is it that I truly believe about this stuff? You know, where is my sense of urgency? Am I excited about this? Am I ready to just rock and roll? Am I ready to get out there and help people understand who God is? Or, you know what, I just I don't really care that much. You know, I ask you just spend some time with, uh, with, um, with the Spirit as we close with this last song. Let me lead us into a word of prayer before we uh, engage in this last song. Lord God, I just, uh, again, lift this time up to you and ask God that you would just challenge us wherever we're at. I pray, God, that you would, um, God, help us to understand that uh, this is about you and not about us. Help us to understand that uh, we are part of a movement here that is, that is all about you. And that we play a role in that. But it's based on surrender. It's based on submission and humbleness to you. And so I pray right now, God, through the power of your spirit, that you would challenge us, that you would allow us to come face to face with you this morning. And God, just allow us to uh, hear you this morning. I pray, God, that for those in here that really need to start this, this, this journey, that this might be a time where they would do that. I pray for those in here this morning that they may have been on this, they may have been on this journey for a while, but there's not a sense of urgency, and frankly, it's kind of, there's nothing really to it. I pray, God, this might be the day where the radical part kicks in. So God, I just, um, again, leave this to the power of your Holy Spirit, the ministry of your Holy Spirit. And I ask this all in the powerful name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.